The patients that we evaluate are usually patients with focal epilepsies, where epilepsy surgery is, is one of the options. Fellow Homo sapiens, welcome back to Epilepsy Sports Insights. So MEGs or magnetoencephalographies are pretty cool, very sensitive brain scans that can complement as well as see things that other brain scans like EEGs or MRIs don't and are brilliant in preparation for brain surgery, amongst other things. Today, we have the global expert on MEGs and biosignal analysis, Stefan Ramp, joining us to share with us the benefits of MEGs. Now, on to our star of the week, Stefan Ramp. So first of all, thank you very much for, for the invitation. So uh, my name is Stefan Ramp. I work at the University Hospital in, in Erlangen, which in, is in the southeastern part of Germany, so roughly about uh, one and a half hours north of Munich. Um, and I work at the Department of Neurosurgery and the Department of Neuroradiology uh, in Erlangen. And I specifically uh, specialize in uh, MEG, that is magnetoencephalography, uh, which we use a lot for research, but specifically also clinically for pre-surgical evaluation uh, for epilepsy surgery. Very exciting stuff. And what led you to work specifically in this field? I started uh, working with MEG quite a number of years ago uh, because I encountered it during uh, going to, to medical school, to studying medicine uh, and, and working on my thesis. And this is when I got into contact with the former head of the epilepsy center, Hermann Stefan. Um, and he also introduced me to the technique, to uh, magnetoencephalography. And so for quite some time, I was able to work at the epilepsy center, 50% and 50% for magneto uh, on, on, on MEG, on magnetoencephalography. Uh, but over the years, that kind of shifted a little bit. So uh, I'm more involved now with MEG and, and imaging uh, than, than when I started out. So that has been quite some time now. Can you tell us how MEGs differ from other more well-known types of brain scans, such as EEG, MRI, etc. So MEG is basically something like the, the younger sister of EEG, you, you could think of it. Uh, so what it does is it records, it registers the tiny magnetic fields that are generated by brain activity. Uh, so in that regard, it's, it's a bit comparable to EEG. They actually have like the, the same temporal time resolution. Uh, so uh, within like milliseconds. Um, and uh, usually we also record like EEG and MEG at the same time. So this gives you an idea how comparable they are. Mm -hmm. um, and and the, the advantages of MEG is that we have a very high sensitivity, especially in the, in the neocortex or so in the superficial areas of the brain. Uh, which means that in, in quite a number of cases, we see activity that EEG does not see because while the, the activity is also in the EEG somewhere, it's just that the amplitude is so tiny that it just is buried in, in all of this background activity and, and, and all of this noise. And we use this uh, to record uh, epileptic activity, for example, uh, in patients with epilepsy. And we're then able to calculate where this activity comes from. Um, so we, we end up with images that have these markings on there uh, that tell you where the, the activity is coming from. So that could be seizures, for example, if you're lucky enough to record a seizure during those uh, usually quite short recordings of like roughly about an hour. 
Or we can also uh, look at so-called interictal activity, that is activity that appears between seizures, so just mm -hmm. these tiny blips that are in there. We can also then localize that uh, and give the, the neurosurgeon, for example, an idea where the activity is, is really coming from, where the epileptic focus is. So in that sense, it's way on the functional side um, and not really comparable to MRI, which is on the structural side, right? So you see lesions on there, uh, changes of the anatomy, um, that would be like the, the other end of, of that diagnostic spectrum. So would you say then um, having an MEG scan would be significantly complementary to both having EEG and MRI? Like It's kind of like a, a good threesome, if you like. Well, of course, it's, it's my job to say that. <laughs> but um, um, in <laughs> addition <clinician>. to that, <laughs> yes, but in, in addition to that, uh, so the patients that we evaluate are usually patients with focal epilepsies, where epilepsy surgery is, is one of the options. Uh, so where it's at least evaluated whether that is an, is an option. So what, what we usually do there is, of course, we do an MRI, uh, because uh, if we know there is an, a lesion that also causes the seizures, then it's, it's much, much, much easier to decide on, on like, uh, the surgical strategy, right? Uh, then, of course, EEG is also done. But what, what MEG adds is another, is an additional perspective, basically. Um, f especially for like a certain group of patients. So if there are like large lesions, the, the issue is that sometimes you have this large lesion, but you don't necessarily know from which part the, the epilepsy actually comes from. And there might not be the option to resect all of it. Um, then MEG can help with that. Um, another, a uh, group of patients that usually benefit from, from this type of investigations are patients that don't have a lesion on MRI, right? So when you don't really know where to, where to operate or where to put uh, invasive electrodes for further uh, evaluation. And then also patients that had uh, previous surgery um, because previous surgery changes the anatomy, obviously, right? They're like, like, uh, like uh, skull defects, for example. Obviously, there's also like a bit of brain missing and, and all of this influences, for example, the EG, but not really so much uh, the, the MEG. So the MEG is basically able to look beyond that. And also in these patients, when you then do another MRI, you will, of course, see the previous surgery. Uh, you will see the resection volume. You might also see some scarification. But where in all of that is the remaining epileptic tissue, right? So the MRI is not really able to tell you that. Um, and uh, for these patients, MEG is a, is a very good additional investigation. Um, right, so, so obviously we don't do MEG in, in just every patient. Uh, we select the ones that we think would actually benefit most from that. So is it largely the people that... Um you put forward for MEG, they're likely to have refractory epilepsy. So perhaps be to have tried two antiseizure medications. Those don't work or don't work sufficiently. You have then the, uh, the EG MRI. And then if you don't, uh, if that doesn't provide enough information to give you good insight to what the challenges might be, then they might have an MEG. Is that about right? That's pretty much how it works in practice. Um, and we also already have quite a good idea what, uh, which patients would, benefit most. Um, so sometimes 
We also, when patients come to, to our epilepsy center and are being evaluated with uh, video EG monitoring, so uh, to evaluate their seizures, uh, record the seizures on video, but then also record the simultaneous EG, this is usually already the time point when, when we recognize whether or not that patient would benefit from that. Um, so it's, it's not something that we do late uh, in okay. many patients, but we already do it uh, when we start thinking about epilepsy surgery. That's really exciting to be able to see the brain from so many dimensions and then being able to make more educated decisions on what the next step might be. And I think we were talking about before we started recording how just by finding this information out, it doesn't mean you definitely have to have a surgery, for instance. It's just putting that information on a plate and saying, this is what we have and these are our potential options, right? Right. It's, it's just finding out what the options are, right? And then it's, it's a discussion, uh, of course, uh, specifically with the patient, what option would be optimal, right? And, and also, I mean, sometimes you don't have, have like, like the best options, right? Sometimes you only have suboptimal options. So, for example, when you have an epileptic focus, that's uh, near uh, essential functional cortex. So let's say uh, visual areas or areas that process language. Then uh, the, the issue is that the epilepsy or the lesion causing the epilepsy might have led to, to uh, like, um, like reorganization. So the, the functional areas moved a little bit and you don't necessarily know whether you can actually do a resection in this area uh, and whether or not that is related to a high risk a functional deficit. So you might not be able to, to uh, like talk anymore. You might not be able to, to see everything around you because if you damage these areas, then there will be a, a deficit. And in these cases, what we can also do with the MEG is that we don't only look at epileptic activity, but we can also look at this normal function. So look at like normal, what we, what we call it physiological uh, activity. And then also localize that, right? So during the recordings, we might then just like show you uh, these, these uh, chess-like, chessboard-like figures, or we might let you speak a few words or just think about a few words or read a text. And then we can see what, what the brain does during that time and where it does that. Uh, and then we can basically show the neurosurgeons, well, this point here, this is where the epilepsy is from. And this point here, this is the visual cortex. So cut this, but leave that intact, right? And we can do that like before going to the OR and then having an educated discussion with the patient, uh, what the chances are to, to uh, be seizure free after surgery versus having a, a functional deficit due to the specific location. And then you can, you know, I guess, look in to the, or, or put it on a plate, say to the person, okay, this is what the likelihood w potentially would be if, you, if we didn't go forward with surgery, like we're talking about drugs yeah, in the yeah. future, the impact on you know, cognition, quality of life, but then equally look at the side, potential side effects. If they go forward for the surgery, how might that affect their quality of life and their cognitive function? It's about weighing those things up. Yeah, exactly. Although, I mean, these discussions are, are always a bit difficult because we're talking about like percentages. Yeah. And percentages are, I mean, we discussed this also before starting uh, the recording. Percentages are just so hard to grasp. Uh, and if I tell you, well, 
if we do this, uh, there is like a, if we do the surgery, uh, there is like a 15% risk of having a functional deficit. And there's like a 45% chance of becoming seizure free. Yeah. What are you going to do? Right? So it's, it's difficult. Uh, it's always going to be an individual decision. Um, but then on the other hand, uh, usually uh, the chances to, to get an improvement are actually really, really good. And at that point where we already know that the, the, this type of epilepsy cannot re be really treated effectively with anti-seizure medication, um, then we know that the chances for improvement are so much better uh, than, than with medication. So there are statistics that, that clearly show uh, that if you tried these two or three anti-seizure medication substances and they don't work because, I don't know, they don't work just because they have like uh, side effects, but they don't work because they, they're not able to control the seizures, uh, then your, your chances to become seizure-free with an additional anti-seizure drug is like around 5% or something like that. Uh, whereas with epilepsy surgery, if you're a candidate for that, your chances to become seizure-free are roughly like between 60, 70, 80%. Depends a little bit on what the cause of epilepsy is. Um, so that, that is, I mean, this is so much better, right? So this is yeah. why you should have this discussion uh, if anti-seizure medication doesn't work anymore, then have this evaluation, right? And then decide. Exactly. And one, I think one can always rest assured that if, uh, you know, the option of surgery is put forward to them, it, it's not going to be done so unless the potential benefits outweigh the potential risks, right? It's so it's not like, oh, we're just going to plonk you in the theatre, go on and have a bit of your brain slice style. You know, it's not as, it's not as simple as that. Hence the workup. The workup to, to get to this point is quite extensive because it's also so individual, right? Because, I mean, there are types of epilepsy, but in, in, even in focal epilepsy, so candidates where you can actually uh, achieve something during epilepsy surgery. So each patient situation is so different. Uh, that you, you have to undergo this, this extensive diagnostic workup. You do MRI, you do video EG recording for like quite a number of days. Um, and, and that sometimes really, I, I clearly understand that feels like a chore, right? So it's, it's probably not always fun to do this, mm. <laughs> um, but I think it's really well worth it because your, your chances, if you're a candidate, are so much better than with, with anti-seizure medication then at this point. A huge thanks to Stefan for sharing with us the cool benefits of MEGs and the insights that such a type of brain scan can bring. Again, if you haven't already, please don't forget to like, comment and subscribe and see you next week. If you'd like to connect, you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook or Instagram. And I'd love to hear from you if you have any thoughts about today's show. Please subscribe to Epilepsy Sparks Insights on your podcast app so that you will never miss the weekly episode. I'm Tori Robinson. Thanks for listening. <laughs>